I don't know how you're feeling this morning, but if you're not have a smile on your face, maybe just look around and find a sunbeam. Holy smokes. I'm like, I'm up early looking at the sun. I'm like, this is unbelievable. Like, this is just a great summer day. My neighbors actually got toasted yesterday because at like two, I'm out there doing the barbecue and I'm like, oh, how are you guys doing? And then at 9.30 last night, they were still out there just having a good time, not even drinking that much. And they are red and all that, like, like my shirt. So if you are going out today, please put on some sunscreen. You're, you will thank yourself tomorrow. My name's Trevor, and I'm one of the people involved in charitable giving here today. So one of the people saying, you know what, you are financially supporting a really good cause when you put your dollars here at Friends Church. I'm about to actually go and have a water fight at the Switch Group in Cochrane, so uh, i got to get nimble here. There'll be some stretching involved in that, but, you know, you, that's the type of thing that we're supporting today, having kids get out, connect, have fun. We're also giving you the opportunity, if just if you have some time afterwards, there's a discussion group. Dave, you're leading that. There's the man. So in the library, you can just head over there. And that's if you're a verbal processor, if you're an internal processor. It's kind of interesting to hear and talk about a, maybe a message or you know what we've been talking about lately and sort of say, how does that all work? And that's because of all of your generous support. So you know there's lots of different ways to donate. There's a black box. We've got the website. And we just want to say thank you. And you know what? Wow. This is an amazing summer day. Get out and enjoy it. Thanks, Trevor. Um, I remember thinking a couple years ago, I was reflecting on my life. I'm pretty old, and so I have a lot of years to reflect on, and I thought, 9-11. I remember where I was when I first saw the TV of the plane going into a building, and it was surreal, and I thought, this is going to be the most profoundly impactful thing of my entire generation. And then COVID happened. And I found, I don't know about you, but I don't even know that I fully processed what COVID and a year or two years of pandemic has done to me and has done to us as a society. When you think back, it's kind of even hard. I already hear people saying before COVID, after COVID, it's kind of that line. When COVID first started, my gym closed, my climbing gym closed. I could still be outside, but a lot of the stuff I do to stay healthy closed. And so I did what anyone did. I went into social media and bought an, a workout set off of an ad. Do you think it showed up? No. That was $100 down the drain. Good try. But again, a little while later, when I finally realized this isn't going to happen, I finally got weights. But here's the thing I found so fascinating. Between when I, the pandemic hit and my gym closed and I finally got my weights, guess how much I worked out? <laughs> Come on, you guys should all be like, you worked out a ton, you're all going to give me this. There's something crazy about what this pandemic has done. It's caused us to do less, to be less. And what we're starting to realize now is kind of now that, you know, life and death is less front and center, you know, people's livelihoods are less front and center, we're starting to get to the, down to the things that are, are long lasting but aren't so urgent. And what we're realizing is our spirituality has started to, we can feel it's taken a hit. You see, I have this idea, and I could be wrong, someone could argue this, you have to buy me a drink to do it, but... 
Back in biblical times, what would happen is you'd be walking through the world and you'd have a profound spiritual moment and you'd take a bunch of rocks and you'd stack them up. And the rocks weren't the important part. What the rocks said was, was, here is a spiritual place. And so then you'd go off and do your, like the rest of your life. And then also you'd be like, oh wait, I need to do some spiritual work. And you'd go back to that place where the rocks are. And the rocks became tents. Then they became buildings. Then they became cathedrals. Churches. It seems, and I could be wrong, a lot of us need a place to go and do spiritual work. Because if we don't have that place, we're kind of like me with the weights. I'd worked out a whole lot of zero during the time when I didn't have weights. And for a lot of people, when I talked to them, they said, you know, the pandemic's been great because I work from home and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, well, how's your exercise life? How's your spiritual life? It's been on hold. And now, as, as kind of society, I'm going to say it this way, as the pandemic's over, no nothing, you guys, come on. The pandemic is over, damn it. We're starting to come back to life. And I want us to still capture all the beautiful things we found in the pandemic. You know, a different pace of life, different ways of being, working from home even. But I, I don't want us to lose There's that thing inside of us that says, if I don't have a place, I won't do that work. So as we come back from this pandemic, as we come back to life, I want to encourage you. And I, first, I want to celebrate you all. You all came to the spiritual gym for a reason. Next, you had nothing better to do. Because for you, probably, and like me, space matters. And setting aside time and energy to go to the space where we do spiritual work, it matters. So over the summer, as we have beautiful days, as it's sunny out, as we go on holidays, I want you to hold tight to that peace. Without a place, for many of us, spirituality doesn't happen. If you can't make it a physical place, make it a temporal place, a time. But I want to encourage you, now that life and death stuff is less front and center, it's the profound work of our spiritual lives where we look around and go, how do I make the world a better place? That takes effort. And it takes intentionality. And for all of you who can hear my voice, I want to honor that. You've set aside time for that work. As you come back from this life of isolation and whatever, you've started to go, no, no, this is important to me. I want to encourage you, over this next two months as we go through summer, prioritize whatever works for you. And for many of you, it's like me. Having a space is what we need. So I want to invite you, starting next week, come back. I think uh, Jeff kicks it off. He's got some great ideas of how we're going to transition from this other life to a new life where we have spirituality again. Okay. I'm going to pass it to you guys. Thanks, you guys. What a beautiful way to start this. What a beautiful metaphor. Sometimes I feel a little different than most people. It's okay.
am a bit weird. I, I've accepted that about myself. But what I find it does for me is I watch people very carefully. And I've noticed this phenomenon in the people around me where somebody will tell a story and the content of the story is kind of like this, but their emotional reaction is like off the charts. Have you ever had someone tell you a story and you're thinking to yourself, really? I do this with my, my wife. Uh, when a Maserati pulls up next to me, I roll down the windows and I'm like, babe, you gotta hear the exhaust on this thing. And then the car takes off and I look at her and her face is just like dead. And I'm like, and she's looking at me going, mm. I was out running with, I have a bunch of people that I run with and it's over the years it's changed. But we were running and one of my buddies says, I saw a baseball clip and it was like suddenly I felt like all was right in the world. Now, if you're a baseball fan, that makes complete sense. If you're like me and baseball seems like the most boring sport to watch on a television in the history of the world, what the heck is that all about? I watched a baseball clip and suddenly felt all was right in the world. That's a big statement, isn't it? So the clip is this. He sent it to me because I was like, actually, no, first he told us about it. Because we were going, uh, dude, what's up with this? He's like, okay, so there's a, a, a and I'm not a baseball fan, so if, if I screw any of this up, you baseball people, just ignore it, okay? Fill in the right words. So there's um, the New York Yankees and the, the Blue Jays are playing, and it's top of the sixth. And the New York Yankees batter, Aaron Judd, walks up to the plate. Big dude, big dude. Pitch comes in, and the guy just like, I don't watch baseball, but watching him hit that ball, like his entire body is committed to this thing. Whoa, bam! And they just show the cameras like, as the ball flies over top of the base people, over top of the people who are in the outfield, over top of the home run fence, into the second balcony. Like he crushed that ball. But that's not the point of the story. Because in the, in the moment of the clip, what you see is there's a moment where there's a, a guy in a Blue Jays hat and jersey and a kid in a New York Yankees jersey, and they're hugging. And if you're like me, you're going, I don't actually understand what just happened. Like, what's going on? So then they go back and they do the replay and then they, they show the, a different camera angle. And so now what you see is this home run pitch. Again, this is... Is there any baseball fans in, in the crowd? Is a, a home run into the second balcony, that's not common, is it? Like, you can get home runs, you can get home runs over the fence, but into the second balcony, these people aren't up there with their gloves waiting for the ball to come to them all the time. So this is a rare event. The guys, as the ball comes in, you can just see them, like, this is going to be the ball of my lifetime. Like, I'm going to put this ball in one of those little glass boxes on my desk at work next to my family. Maybe, like, ball first, then family picture after. Like, this is a lifetime moment for him. And as the ball comes flying over, it lands, it kind of hits underneath, and he dives underneath the thing, and you can see all these people going. And it comes up, and then he goes to do, you know, the salute. <sighs> but halfway up, he stops. Without hesitating, he goes like this. And he hands the ball to a little kid sitting about five um, seats over. A little kid is wearing a New York Yankees t-shirt. And as you see him on the back, 
says, Aaron Judd, Judge, the guy who just hit the home run, a super fan of super fans. And without thinking, this Blue Jays fan who has the ball of a lifetime that's going to be on his mantelpiece if he wants it, he hands the ball to this little kid and says, I'm going to make not only your day, but most likely your week and possibly your life in this moment. Think of all that needs to go down in that moment. First, the guy is willing to give up the lifetime ball. Second, he has awareness. There's a super fan over there with an Aaron Judd jersey on. And that he could make this kid's life. And without even thinking about it, he gets the ball halfway through a salute. He reaches over and hands it to the kid. And the kid's reaction is incredible. He dives at this guy, complete stranger, dives at him and in this massive hug. He's bawling. Everyone around him is just like, ah! The announcers, so this is the moment. My, my friend watches this moment. He's like, all is right in the world when a Blue Jays fan is willing to give up a lifetime ball to make a little kid's month, year. The announcers describe it in the physical realm. The announcers say, good job, all. That's what they say. Good job, everyone. Yeah. Guy handed the ball to the kid. Good job, everyone. But there's a moment there. There's something that happened in that moment that's bigger than the moment, isn't it? There's something there that speaks of all sorts of stories in our lives. I was watching another video of a, a kid. I don't even know how I got on this video. A little kid, maybe two-ish, three-ish, ish, somewhere in there. I'm looking at the moment, the front row there. The kid's playing in a balcony on a fifth floor condo, and he's holding onto the balcony railing underneath. He's got his legs dangling, and then he slips over. The kid's hanging from a fifth floor balcony railing. He's like two years old, screaming bloody murder. The video is like, because the kid's like, or the person's like, holy crap. And all you see is this guy just sprinting across the grass. He jumps up onto the first balcony, grabs the balcony rail, pulls himself up, grabs the side rail, and then reaches to the second floor. Grabs that railing, starts climbing up four stories. Anyone feel comfortable climbing up the outside of a four-story building? Hasn't planned it, hasn't thought about it, doesn't have his climbing shoes on, hasn't like stretched before he did it. He just, without thinking, boom. Finally, he's holding onto the one post, standing up on the top, four floors up. He reaches out and grabs the kid. Saves the kid's life. And everyone's just losing their mind. And I'm going, all is right in the world. There's something in that moment that's just so freaking beautiful. Do you know the feeling I'm trying to tease out here? The stories that inspire you, that feel bigger than just the physical description. Good job, everyone. A Blue Jays fan gave a ball to a Yankees fan. Good job. That's what physically happened. But doesn't that feel like something more happened there? What are the stories in your life? My 
wife loves a show called Fab Five, I think it's called. It used to be called something else. It's these five people who go around and just like make people's lives. She, I watched one with her and there was this grad class and you know, last minute the COVID restrictions lifted and like, you can have grad with like a week to plan it and to execute it. Their school is basically looks like a rundown, like empty school lot and they're supposed to have their grad in this like garbage heap. So the Fab Five come in, find an incredible venue, teach them how to cook, give them life lessons, make them look incredibly beautiful, and send them off to their grad. And you go, damn, that's just good stuff right there. Those people are doing good things. Again, it's not just, hey, he helped them get a better outfit and taught them how to cook. Where is there something more for you? That feeling, that sense that whatever the story is, it impacted me bigger than just the physical events, that's what I'm trying to get to today. Because I think it's important for our spirituality. In fact, I think it's important for a certain part of our spirituality. It has the potential to create moments that will change us that we'll look back at hundreds of years later. (laughs) I'm not that old. Years later, and we're going, ah, remember that moment. A couple months or uh, years ago, my truck got broken into. I'm looking to my wife to go, does anyone know how long ago this happened? It was not that long ago. I come out one day, and someone smashed into the back of my truck. All my dirt bike gear is gone. Thousands of dollars of gear. And I have insurance and that's all fine, but I just, it was just a kick in the junk. I was just like, this was, I don't know how many break-ins we've had in the last year, and I was just like, okay, I lost my bike, I lost this, and now every bit of dirt bike gear, and basically my mental health is tied to dirt biking. (sighs) So I go to GW Seiko, talk to Trudy, I'm on a first name basis with them over there. Um, and I, I find a pair of motorcycle boots, which is the most important. I don't want to shatter my feet. And I come to the till, and I say, here's my boots. And she's got this kind of funny smile on her face. And she's like, and I think I've told you guys this story. She's like, oh, by the way, it's all paid for. Your dirty, crusty, make fun of each other dirt bike crew got together and raised enough money to buy your gear back. You know, it's a moment where you just like, all is right in the world, right? <laughs> that they would do something like that for me. It's, it's not even the money. It's just like, it's that they cared. They go by the name Dirt Muppets. That the Dirt Muppets could actually get their stuff together enough to do, like, where's the moments in your life where you look back and go, that story blew me away. I've been thinking a lot about those stories. And I was, I was reading a book by a Jewish scholar named uh, Amy Jill Levine, fantastic scholar. She's actually a Jewish scholar who studies the New Testament. Very rare. But she's referencing a story about a guy named Gideon. Anyone have any Sunday school background in their life? Hands up. Gideon in the fleece, anyone remember that? Oh yeah. 
If you didn't, don't worry, it's, it's not important. The story is actually about Gideon, and Gideon, it's right at the beginning of his life. He's sitting in a, in, inside of a building doing some work, but what you realize is he's hiding. Because like all Old Testament stories, all our early stories in our tradition, the, the people that the, the Bible is about are being oppressed by somebody else. This time it's the Midianites. The Midianites, it goes into a long explanation of how the Midianites are destroying everything. And so Gideon's hiding out, trying to make a living and not catch, catch the attention of the Midianites. And the story that Amy Jill points out, the story that's going to tie back ultimately to the baseball story is this. From Gideon's point of view, a man walks up and says, I want you to step up and save your people from the Midianites. How would you respond if I walked up to you and said, I would like you to handle this whole Russia-Ukraine situation. You're going to take care of that. What would your reaction be? Daddy can do it. (laughs) Gideon responds like I would. He just starts laughing, like, you're an idiot. What the hell do you know? Have you even, like, have you even looked around lately? You think one person's going to do anything about anything and anything? This is ridiculous, and stop talking. Now, the beauty of this story is actually not written from Gideon's point of view. Remember, the Bible stories are written sometimes hundreds, even thousands of years after they might have happened. So hundreds of years later, an author is looking back at the story and saying, I want to encourage you all with something by telling you a story that's hundreds of years old about a guy named Gideon who's hiding out in a barn, hiding from the Midianites. And the author writes it this way. He says, the word in Greek is angelos. It's translated in, in English would be angel, but it's, it's not just angel. When you think angel, you're thinking like big wings and like halos and stuff like that. No. Remember, from Gideon's point of view, a man walks up to him and says, I want you to save your entire nation. The author, instead of describing that person as a man, says they're an angelos, a messenger from God. What's the author trying to say here? A dude's hanging out, and a divine voice comes to him through a person. The person doesn't become an angel. They're a person. But something bigger is going on. We're not at all as right in the world yet, but we're moving there. Gideon replies, you're an idiot, laughs. Have you even seen the Midianites? Like, what do you expect one person to do? You expect me to do anything? And then the author says, there's a man sitting in front of Gideon who's a messenger from God, and then they say, God says... On first reading, it's kind of like there's Gideon and then there's a guy and then they switch out the guy, put in an angel, then they switch out an angel, put in God. But here's the thing. In Old Testament stories, if you see the entity God, remember how Jeff talked about God a couple weeks ago? If you see an entity God, what happens is you start to glow. It's kind of this thing. Moses goes and hangs out with God, the entity God. He glows for a week. Like glows, like me. Not like white like me, but like glows. And so when we realize that, we realize, wait a second, Gideon's not glowing, so the author's not trying to say he connected with the entity God. He's trying to say something else. 
He's trying to say something that I think unwraps all the stories we've talked about to this point. He says, God said to Gideon. Now, let me just clean up the word God here. I'm going to jump forward about a thousand years to an author who wrote a book called First John. Mike, can you throw up the first line of that quote? This is what the author says. My dear friends, he's writing to a bunch of people. It's a letter. We kind of got a copy of a letter, no context, whatever. My dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. That line's really important. God is love. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. Anyone grow up with kind of an old man in the sky conception of God? When I say God, it's an entity outside of us, maybe the creator, maybe the universe, something like that. Have you ever thought of this idea that when I love somebody, that love is God? That not only God is love, but love is God. Let's go back to the Gideon story. Gideon, hanging out, hiding out, not doing anything. He's just trying to take care of himself. A messenger from God comes to him and says, I want you to step up, and I want you to save your people from the Midianites. What is he calling Gideon to do? To love. And when we see this beautiful, profound love, the author switches from the word angel to God and says, no, no, no. in the loving, in you stepping up, in being loving to somebody around you, in giving up your life for your country, for your people, that love is God. Let's go backwards even further. Guy sprints across parking lot, climbs four stories, grabs a kid off of a balcony. What is that move? It's love for a complete stranger. A kid, he doesn't know. It's not his kid. You can see, kid's white as day, guy's black, not his kid. But he loves a stranger. That Blue Jays fan sees a kid next to him that's a super fan that worships Aaron Judd, the guy who just hit the home run. He picks up the ball and without thinking, in an act of beautiful love, inspiring love, hands the ball to the kid and says, I want to make your life more than I want this on my desk. All of it, if we follow the first John line, is God. And I think that's why it feels like something more. All is right in the world. You see, we have this spiritual model we've been working with all year. Mike, can you throw it up when you have a second? Most of the time we've looked in the middle section, I, them, we, right? There's I, figure out who I am, figure out who they are, figure out how to not be antagonistic, but to work together. But on the right-hand side there, see how it says physical realm? 
and then beyond physical, transcendent? Isn't that the definition of what we're talking about here? Dude hands kid a ball at a baseball game. That's what physically happened. But there's something beyond the physical that does, it does something to us. As I, as I wrestled with the Gideon story, it took me I don't know how long to finally get my brain to this idea of, wait a second. Maybe what the author's trying to tell us is something about our lives. That in moments of love, in moments of profound love, we can experience a transcendence that we can't get in the physical realm. Sit with that realization for a second. Because this one baked my noodle for a couple weeks. If love is God, then maybe that's why these beautiful acts of love move us so much. Because we experience transcendence. We experience something of the divine. Anyone watch the movie The Notebook? I can't even watch that movie. No, not for what you're thinking of. You're like, oh, Vince, you're a hard-hearted Spock. No, it's not that at all. It makes me bawl my eyes out. Two, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it, I'm going to wreck it for you. Two people, old people, guy comes to an old folks home. She's got dementia. He tells her a story of these two people who fall in love. She has no clue who they are. But then in a moment, her dementia lifts and, oh, freaking, I'm already feeling emotional. Come on. <laughs> Jeez. He, she has a moment where the dementia lifts and he's like, I've been sitting here for years telling you this story so I can wait for this moment to tell you I love you. And we watch this frickin' movie and we frickin' ball our eyes out. But it's so more. It's transcendent. So my question is this for us today. Where do we experience love? Where do we see it in others? Where do we see it in our own lives? Where do we look at a kid looking at a mother with such love and devotion go... I feel so much love in this moment that I can feel the divine, I can feel God, I can feel transcendence. And if we can find it through love, then we can find it anywhere. We can experience the divine anywhere. I can put on that stupid notebook movie and watch it to the end and bawl my freaking eyes out and feel the love that he held for her for so many years and go, all is right in the world. Something bigger is going on. And you can too. You can play the role of Gideon and see these moments of love around you and go, oh my goodness. The baseball fan giving the other baseball fan the ball, these moments online, the cute frickin' puppies. And it's more than just the physical, isn't it? It's something bigger than that. So the first part of this message is this know that you can do that. That is a pathway to transcendence, that is a pathway to the divine, if you're open to it. If you want to keep it in the physical, yep. Dude handed a kid a ball. That's all that happened. Dude climbed a balcony. 
four gay men and a transgender person. I'm not sure the fifth person, if I got that person wrong, apologies. The Fab Five, everything they do, it's God's work. Or you can open yourself up to something more. Seek out these moments of love. Watch for them. Let them sink into your soul. Now here's the last piece I want to leave you with. And this is the part where everything changes. Because we can be getting in the story and see a moment of love and, and, and do that kind of work. But if it's true that love is God, when we love God is, if that's true, then when we are loving to the people around us, we create transcendence for them. See, friend church exists to make the world a better place. And now, if this is true, if our spiritual ancestors are, are, are onto something, not only do when we feel love and we can you know, have those emotional experiences and watch the movies and see whatever to create that feeling of love and the divine in us, we can also do that for the people around us if we choose. You can literally be God for somebody around you. That's mind-blowing. We exist to make the world a better place. We want to inspire each and every one of us to do this work. And now there's a mechanism that says, if I can be profoundly loving, if I can be the person who hands the ball to the kid, I can create a moment of divine for the people around me. Ask yourself, where can I be love? Where can I be the divine? Where can I be God? to the people around me, to my partner, to the stranger down the street, to the person across the world who will never meet me. Where does that exist for us? Where does it exist for you? As I sing this song, I want you to just sit with that thought for a few minutes. Where do you feel love? And where can you give love? What a beautiful line. And through the lens of the Gideon story and of the First John line, really what they're saying is, all I want is to feel transcendence and to give it. I want to feel the divine and give it. You know, this series has been our exploration of that which is beyond the physical. We can do our spirituality in the physical realm. It's totally fine. It's fun. We can work on morality. We can work on ourselves. We can create this sense of we, this beautiful sense of we where it's win-win, where we, we speak what we need and we, we, what we want from people around us and we give to them in this beautiful win-win dance. That's the first part of we, but there's a second part of we, this transcendent part of we, that's what this series has been about, to explore that. And what we did is we tried to create three pathways for you. First one was Jeff. Did anyone hear the one he talked about God and being healed from a horse allergy? What a crazy story, huh? And yet we were flooded with stories of people going, oh, let me tell you my story. 
This idea that there's entities outside of the physical realm that, or maybe it's not even entities, but it's, it's the way we, we conceptualize it. When we say God as a super being, as an entity, if you look at the Simpsons, that's what they're saying. God is the guy in the sky with the big beard and the sandals. Next week, Trevor talked about the stories that we tell ourselves and the impact they have to take a moment from physical, from this is just what happened to something beyond that. He talked about feeling loved. Today we talked about love. It's why we built, can you throw up the model for me once more? It's why we built this model the way we did is because we knew that in the we, when we did it beautifully, there is love there. And when that love is kind of at its most poignant, it goes beyond the physical to the transcendent. And man, all of our awareness stuff gets in the way. I'm an a-hole half the time and working on my own stuff and selfish and blah, blah, blah. But when I can do that work to climb the thing and start working with the people in this beautiful win-win way, if we do that, if we do it with love, we can find the divine there. So if you want to keep your spirituality in the physical, totally fine, it's here. But I think there's something more there if we're open to it and it doesn't have to be the way we were taught when we were young. There's a way into this transcendence that we can hold our head up high. We can be scientists. We can be rational beings. But still have a connection to something more. And I have a feeling that a lot of us are here because we want that connection to something more. So as we finish this series, we actually built this series in another series, and I asked Alessandra and Adam at the time to play a song, or to write a song for the series, a theme song. We actually have our own theme song. Isn't that pretty freaking cool? So they wrote this song, and when they were playing it this morning, I was like, oh my goodness, that's so good. We gotta end the service with this, we gotta. So this is this theme song that captures the whole model, captures the whole thing. As a side note, these guys play actually under a band name, Too Late to the Party. I think they just released the last song as their single. So if you want to hear All I Want Is Love and you want to be inspired by that, go online, whatever, wherever you listen to music, search it. It's a killer tune. Let's end with this. Thanks, you guys. Have a great Sunday, everyone. Go enjoy the sunshine.